us, oh God, tonight, we receive that grace to press in. We receive that grace to trust you wholly, completely, in the name of Jesus. We receive that grace now, and we say thank you. Thank you for the grace to trust you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be Lord God. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. You may take your seats. Praise God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. For the grace to trust you more and more. That's all we need, folks. I'm telling you, praise God. Hallelujah. You are welcome tonight to day two of this journey on justification by grace through faith. Uh, tonight, we're going to go on a little faster track because there's much to cover. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to begin to read from verse 11. And then we're going to just dive right in. And so last night I told you there were three key things, three pillars in communicating effectively in order to persuade. Number one is the ethos which relates to the life of the messenger. Number two is the logos which relates to the content or the message that's been carried. And number three is the pathos which relates to the uh, passion of delivery. And then on Sunday, I prepared you that there were three major themes in the book of Galatians. Theme number one is law versus grace. Theme number two is the flesh versus the spirit. And theme number three is bondage versus freedom. So tonight, we are going to take on the very first theme, which is law versus grace. Amen. And this is the logos portion of Paul's Message. So last night we saw the ethos, his lifestyle, and the pathos, the passion of his delivery. So tonight we get into the logos, the content of the message to the Galatian church. Galatians chapter 2, beginning to read from verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Go on to verse 16. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated from them, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. <laughs> so that even Barnabas was carried away with their, with their hypocrisy. But when I, but when I saw what they were, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, "If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles." Knowing that a man is not justified by the, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be glorified. Amen. So tonight we are going to begin to take on this first major theme, which is the theme that talks about law versus grace. In John 1.17, the Bible says the law came to us through Moses, but that grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So then let's just take a moment to define the law, because you hear this word thrown around a lot. Law, 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 you're under the law, you're not under the law, and so forth and so on. So what does it mean when you hear the law? The law was a system of demands that God placed on man's performance or behavior. 
This system used rules, statutes, ordinances, principles, and precepts to guide the choices and behavior primarily of Israel. Let me say that one more time. The law is a system of demands that God placed on man's performance or behavior and it used rules, statutes, ordinances, principles, and precepts to guide the choices and behavior of mankind and in particular Israel. That is very, very important. That is very, very important. Amen? Now, we must say that the law is not discredited. It's important I say this. It is not despised nor disregarded. Its majesty, perfection, demands, and purpose are maintained. Are you guys hearing me? Good. Pastor Abike is bringing your pizza in a minute. Just, just, just take your time. <laughs> Praise God. Yet, these qualities of majesty, perfection, demands, this very essence, these very qualities, make it utterly impossible for any man to approach God through the law. Paul made it clear in Romans chapter 7 that the law is perfect. The law is holy. However, the challenge is not with the law itself. The challenge is there is no humankind anywhere that can ever satisfy or fulfill the demands of the law. So in God's wisdom, he created another way, another way of approach that entirely bypasses the law in order for man to be justified before him. Amen? So now, that's the law. Grace now we can define as an unconditional receiving system based on Christ's finished work. Grace is God's unconditional receiving system based on Christ's finished work. This is very, very important. It's not just uh, a receiving system. Yes, it is a receiving system, but it is based on Christ's finished work. Now, while there were glimpses of grace shown to us in the scriptures all through the Old Testament, glimpses of it. The Bible talks about how Noah found grace inside of God. Amen? There were glimpses of grace all through scriptures. However, we must understand that the full uh, dispensation, if I can use that word, the full dispensation of grace was not in effect until Jesus went to the cross. You have to really keep that in mind. Even though we saw snapshots and glimpses and uh, uh, little glimpses here and there of grace throughout the entire scripture, the fullness of grace did not come until Jesus' resurrection. Now, let's go to the scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, just so you can see what I'm saying there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse, uh, let me find the verse. Verse 16 and 17. Hebrews 9, 16, 17. My goodness, you guys are very fast tonight. All right. <laughs> it says, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. In other words, you cannot get my will until I die. This is, this is huge. You must understand this. If you're going to put on this new paradigm of grace, you must understand when it came um, and, and, the, and the, all of the accompanying uh, things that go along with it. Verse 17 says, For a testament is in force after men are dead. 
since it has no power at all while the testator lives. My wife and I, we have a widow. We have a widow. The will is put away right now. None of my kids or grandkids can come and say, give me what's in your will. Nobody will listen to them. Why is that? I'm still alive. I'm still alive. The will can never go into effect until after the testator dies. This is the reason grace could not be in full effect while Jesus lived. Even though the intention of God all along was grace. But that grace could not be in effect until the death of the testator. That's why you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And by the way, I don't want to get really technical. You must really understand that the New Testament in real essence did not begin until the resurrection. It's not possible. Amen? So now, we've defined the law, we've defined grace, and we've talked about how it came around. Now let's get back to the text in Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. Where Paul says, now when Peter had come up to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now this is interesting. These are two apostolic tyrants. These are two apostolic icons. Peter, the man who opened the door to the church on the day of Pentecost. I mean, they don't get any bigger than that. This is the big dude <laughs> of the Pentecostal church. And this new, young, late apostle who by his own testimony said I was born out of due order had the audacity to have a, not just a private confrontation, a public one. Where he's calling the chief apostle to account. And everybody could hear it. What happened to diplomacy? What happened to tact? Why did he not gloss it over? Why did he think this issue had to be addressed here and now? It had to be addressed here and there because Peter was adding fuel to the problem that was already in the Galatian church. Because the Galatian church was already experiencing, uh, what, what can I say, uh, internal turmoil, thank you. Based on the Judaizers that came from the outside, in fact, so a translation said they came by, by like a stealth. They called them false brethren. You know, they, they just came in there and said, ah, this, this, this point you guys are listening to, you need to be careful. This guy's a Pharisee. Are you sure you can trust this Pharisee guy? You, this guy, it doesn't mean good. I mean, it's not good. I mean, we know his history. So, and then we was saying, the message he's carrying is perverted. It's diluted. It cannot be real. Now, just so you understand the mindset of the Judaizers, just so we don't really just, uh, what, what shall I say, just, just, just kill them. Understand their mindset. All through the years, God had dealt with Israel primarily as its only chosen people. And has given him a set of laws, rules, ordinances, principles, precepts, which they've lived upon for 1,500 years. And the Messiah, so to speak, came from among them. And the church was birthed. So they claim, this is our man. Ah. This, this, this Aka man that went, graduate, Aka graduate, this is our man. We may not like anybody else, but you, you one of us, man, this is our man. And so they took ownership, personal ownership of the messiahship of Jesus Christ. And so how dare anybody else come into the faith other than what we are used to? That's the mindset. These Gentiles. Nah. You've got to understand the culture of that day. You have to understand it. 
the Gentiles were looked down upon like dogs. That's where the Jewish people saw them. That's why when the woman came, this Syrophoenician woman that came and wanted healing for her son, Jesus said, are you kidding me? This bread is not for dogs. Because those guys were looked down upon seriously. So now for them, they are saying, what? The same Jesus? And you guys are going to come? We have paid the price. We circumcised. We followed the laws. We, we not only pay tithe, we even tithe of our plants. Can you imagine those Pharisees? They are coming and they are mint. Their wives went to the, sh- to the shop to buy grocery. They bring a uh, recipe. They bring, they bring uh, seasonings home. Thyme, curry, mint. Cu- they say, oh no, ah, don't touch it. Take it, tenth apart. Tithe, we must pay tithe. That's how stickler they were for the law. Now, these Gentiles, this new kid on the block, is going to now come in, pay no price, and you're going to tell me they just believe on the Lord Jesus, and that's all? No way. Now, this is a challenge with Peter. Of all people, when God was going to make the incursion among the Gentiles, it was Peter that God used. In Acts chapter 10. When God sent him to the house of Cornelius and God had to give him a vision, a vivid vision three times. Because you must understand this guy is a Jew of Jews. <laughs> you know, some of us, you know how some of us are. <laughs> you, 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 you won't move from your cultural position. No matter what else is happening except God screams and says, Yeah, it's me! Three times, God had to show him a vision and finally he got the message that God wanted him to go. And then to his dismay, he got there, he has all these scripts in place. Point number one, point number two, point number three, point number four, he's a great preacher. This guy, this guy that opened the church on the day of Pentecost, so he, he must be doing very well. He had all these points lined up. Four points and conclusion. And he began point number one. Point number two. Before I could get to three and four, the Holy Ghost came there. And all those guys were born again. And baptized in the Holy Ghost. What? God, you didn't even take my permission? How dare you inter- interfere with my ministry? And he said, whoa, now I know. God is no respecter of persons. And then in Acts chapter 11, other Jews like himself contended against him and said to him, Peter, what in the world were you doing over there? You know what our law says. We don't eat with Gentiles. We don't play with them. What were you doing over there? And he explained how God convinced him through three visions, took him there, and began to preach and how they were baptizing the Holy Ghost like they were at the beginning. He was the first one through which God reached the Gentiles. So now we come to Galatia. The same Peter whom God had delivered from this cultural ethnic centricity now came to Galatia normally eats with the Gentiles fellowship with the Gentiles until people came from headquarters. (laughs) When he saw people that came from Jerusalem who was still steeped in the law. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to lose my position. I don't want to lose my place in Jerusalem. I need to chill it down. And the Bible said, he separated himself from those Gentiles. But he did it on the wrong day with the wrong guy present. Paul saw himself and said, what? Cephas, Peter, did I just see what I just saw? You and I eat barbecue chicken with Gentiles. Now, because you see the people from Jerusalem, the headquarters are here, you are now pretending that you are just kosher diet only. I know what we eat when we're in when we're, when we're, What is this all about? And he challenged them. Now, to Peter's credit, you read the account, he did not rebuke what Paul said. He didn't try to, oh, he didn't try to make an excuse. He didn't try to say, ah, shut up, you junior apostle. Who gave you the permission? (laughs) None of that. 
None of that. Let's put that in our situation today. How many of us can take rebuke? Or correction? Even when our hands are clearly caught inside the cookie jar, caught in the act, you find a way to, ah, no, I, I, was, just, I was counting the cookies. <laughs> so we must give Peter some credit. He did not fight it. He knew it was wrong. And he took it like a big man. And later on in 2 Peter, Peter now wrote about Paul. And said, this man is a tough man. Wrote some hard things. But the word is the word. Amen? Amen? So now, this is how this second chapter progressed on. And uh, the questions we need to ask ourselves tonight is, why did God give the law to begin with? Why is he setting it aside? What purpose did he serve? Did he serve? Now, I'm not going to answer those questions tonight. I'll answer them as we go later on. But let me just suffice it to say this. Let me just give us two or three scriptures. Romans 10.4. Romans 10.4. And 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Romans 10.4. Thank you. Just, let's just cut through the chase. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So if you believe what the scripture is saying to you is Christ has become the end of the law for you. He said to us in his, in his earthly ministry, he did not come to uh, destroy the law but to fulfill it. Now, this is important. God is not changing his holy demands. God is not changing the demand of justice for sin. No. None of that has changed. The only thing that's changed is the fact that God has found satisfaction through what Jesus did. He fulfilled it perfectly and in so doing, he now represents us. Instead of me and you performing the law now, God is saying, Jesus has performed it and I'm going to give you credit on the basis of what Jesus did if you believe. Now, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8 through 11. Look at what it says. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9. Now, I like how this one started. Knowing this. Can you guys say that with me? Say knowing this. Knowing Let's do it like uh, I did on Sunday. In increment increment in, 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 in decibel. Knowing this. Knowing this, knowing this, knowing this. <laughs> I want to make sure you guys are awake. <laughs> this is important. To start a sentence by saying, knowing this. That the law is not made for a righteous person. Now, how many righteous persons are here tonight? Okay. So, yeah. The law. Is not made for a righteous person. Now, look at the, the reason I told you the law is still maintained. The majesty of the law, the demands of the law, the, it's all still maintained. Why? Look at this. But for the lawless, do we still have lawless people? Absolutely. The law is for them. For the insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners. For the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. That's why the law is not going away. You need the law for all those categories of people. But go back to verse 9 again because I want, to, I want to make sure you remember this. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. 
Now, we're talking about law versus grace. There are two big questions, or shall I say objections, to the grace issue that Paul addressed in this passage. Two huge ones. So it goes on and say, in verse 15, Galatians 2.15, we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Let me just say this. Let me just say this before I move right on. Let me just say this very quickly. One of the reasons for which Paul did not give Peter a break and he had to call him to account is because he was aware that people around were watching him. People were watching him. And he already told us that a little leaven levels the whole lump. So if I give Peter a pass to be a hypocrite, and as he said in the passage, it's already affecting the other Jews, including Barabbas. So the message to you and I is we must be aware that people are watching us. We could be saying one thing with our mouth and say Jesus loves you, Jesus wants to bless you, Jesus is good, my Lord is king, and all of those nice slogans. But if by our actions we are saying other things that bring discredit to God, they see what we do before they can hear what we say. Case in point, Franklin Graham just got in trouble a few days ago by some statements he made. He just publicly came out against the uh, South Bend mayor who's running for uh, Democratic nomination for president. He openly condemned his behavior as a homosexual and said that he needed to repent or burn in hell. Now, you must understand, I'm paraphrasing this. I didn't, don't go back and... <laughs> That's, that, yes, this is not a word for word. This is, this is the message translation of what he said. <laughs> now, if he said that and was consistent with that same thinking in other situations, maybe it will not be terribly, terribly bad. But when the president, Donald Trump, had the issue with the pornography woman, Stormy Daniels, is that her name? Yeah. They asked him about that and he said it's nobody's business. He said that's a guy's private life. So this is what I'm saying. You cannot have a double standard. You can't have one that is good when the tables are on this side and then create another standard when the table is on the other side. The world is going to call you out on that. And they did. They called him out on it. So he had, to come back, he had to come back with another statement, trying to dress it up. <sighs> but the damage was done. Damage was done. So be careful. People are not only listening to what you're saying, they're watching what you're doing. And as the representatives and ambassadors of Christ, we must understand that. Amen? Now, so let's, let's go back to that verse 15, Galatians 2, 15. So we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no man shall be justified. Okay, so what is he saying there? He's saying that he acknowledges the fact that God gave the law to the Jews and he now goes on to uh, play like the devil's advocate with the Judaizers, with the issue on the ground. And the first objection those guys had is what he's addressing, which is how can my works or my performance, or my self-effort, fail to have an effect on my ultimate destiny? Legitimate question. 
are you going to tell me that as a believer who operates under the law, meaning my performance, my self-effort, uh, my, 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 my willingness to do things to please God, to win God's favor, as you are going to tell me now, Paul, you apostle born out of due order, that this does not count for something? That's the first objection to grace. That you're going to just take away my accomplishments and all my effort and all the, all the performance and all the credentials that are, you're just going to wipe that off, that that does not count? That's the first objection. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. You're going to wipe, up, wipe off my efforts? Are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Really? Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Notice the word done, which means I, I thank you. I accomplished something. I did something. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Are you kidding me? I cast out demons. First of all, watch this. It, it didn't say I tried to cast it out. It said you actually did. You did not fail in the effort. He acknowledged you prophesied in his name. And he came to pass. In other words, I can, <laughs> oh God, I cannot stand before God and say, you know what, I gave 11 prophecies. Go and check it, God. All of them came to pass. I cast out 91 people. I cast out demons out of 91 people. That's, that, that's, that's, a, that's an accomplishment. That should count for something. And not to talk of all the other things you might, you might have done. The end result is, get out of here. I don't even know you. You're not part of me. We are going somewhere tonight. How about Luke chapter 15? Luke chapter 15. The objection is, are you saying my efforts don't count towards my ultimate destiny? Luke chapter 15. We're familiar with this story. Let's begin from uh, verse 11, I believe it is. Ah, thank you. You got it. This is where we miss this story most times. Look at what it says. Then he said, a certain what? Man had two sons. Now, the story will be different if he said two sons had a father. Ah, you guys are not hearing me. You, you, are you guys still hungry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, a certain man had two sons. He did not say two sons had a particular father. By starting like this, it tells me the emphasis is not on the sons, but the father. Yeah. He's looking to show you and I the heart of this father. Now, let's jump. Because I'm not going to go through the whole story. Go to verse 25. You know the story. The young one came. Squandered his father's inheritance. Came back home. The father threw him in a wild party. And in verse 25. This is the other son. The older son. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What? Ah, that's my father backsliding? Music and dancing in this house? 
What's happened to my father? Next verse. So he called one of the servants. Now notice this boy. He didn't go in to find out himself. He's so sanctimonious in his thinking. He refused to go inside but sent a servant and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Please underline that, would not go in. Therefore, look at this father. His father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, ah, what does lo mean again, sir? <laughs> Dr. Ajay, what does lo mean again? <laughs> lo, <laughs> these many years I have been what? Serving you. I've been working, performing, serving you. I never, look at this lie, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. That's a lie right there. <laughs> because if that's the case, he should have gone to the cross, not Jesus. <laughs> and yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, you can almost see the disdain. You got, you got, you, 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 the smirk on his face. As soon as this your young son came, <laughs> who has devoured all your livelihood with harlots, you killed the father car for him. Watch what the father said. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. The challenge is you never asked. Because you thought you could earn them with your performance. Everything I own is yours. But you never thought to ask. Because you think you have to earn it instead of just simply receiving it. Go to verse 1 of that chapter so you can understand the full context of this story. Look at this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. Those are your audiences. Don't miss this. The tax collectors and the sinners. Those needing grace. The Pharisees and the scribes, the self-righteous, who thought they don't need grace, they've already earned their way to God's heart. That's the audience. And that's why Jesus told that story. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So Paul is saying to this crowd, You are not going to get into God's good books through your works. Now, let's answer the question. Are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Absolutely not. It matters a great deal how you live. It does matter how you live. But then you hear people say, grace is unfair and offensive. Why? Because any old sinner on their death bed, knowing that death is imminent. If this thing you're talking about grace is true, they can live like a scumbag for 92 years. And on their deathbed, oh Jesus, okay now, yeah, I believe. And they make it to heaven. So people have an issue with that. Why do you have an issue with that? Did you make heaven? Did you create heaven? To be honest, I'm not God. If I was God, I wouldn't let them in either. 
Absolutely not. But that's why I'm not God. That's why you are not God. That's why he's bigger than all of us. But we cannot change the rule book because it's not asking our opinion. It's telling us how it is. And Jesus gave us a classic example of this in Matthew chapter 20. Let's just quickly, ah, it's, too, it's too many verses. I can't, I can't read that at home. <laughs> Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. This is when he went out to hire the people. He hired one at this hour, hired one at this hour. And he had this categories of people and promised each one of them the same pay. And those he had at the last hour, that only worked for one hour, he paid them the same thing as those that worked for 10, 12 hours. And those guys are screaming, hello, I've been in this sun working for the last 12 hours. You're going to pay me what you paid this guy that just came in, barely just made it in for 60 minutes. And Jesus said to them, the goods are mine. Did I defraud you? Did I give you what I said I would give you? Yes. What's your complaint? What's your business in what I give the other person? That's where we are. We should be screaming, thanking God that grace is unfair. <laughs> when you understand what was coming to you. When you understand what you are doing, what exactly should have happened to you. And God sent his innocent son to that cross to pay the price in my behalf and your behalf. And now I have the audacity to complain about someone. See, one of the reasons God gave the law, you can never truly appreciate grace if you don't know the law. There's no way you can understand your rescue if you've not been in prison. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. We need to move very quickly. The truth of the matter is when we fully understand what's at stake with legalistic view of justification, we know that it's a no-go area. It's a no-go area. In other words, what I'm saying is when we understand the full uh, essence of the law versus justification, the law is perfect, we said it. It's majestic, we said it. But there's no one that can fulfill the law in approaching God. It's not possible. You can't do it. Nobody can do it. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, you don't have to turn to it. Say, no, there's no one that's righteous. No, not one. Not one. No one is righteous. And in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, if you fulfill the whole law, and stumble in just one, you are guilty of all of it. That's the reason we cannot present ourselves to God on the basis of the law or performance. Because this is what happens. In some areas, I perform very well. Maybe I have no problems in giving. I just give, give. Man, that's not, it's, not, it's no sweat. I can do it. In my sleep, I can give. But fasting? Oh, no. No, 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 no. I let Brother TJ fast for me. Just fast, fast for both of us. So we are selective in areas and things we do and we can do well. So the problem with that is, if I'm giving very well and there's a brother or sister that does not fast well or pray well, there's a tendency for pride to look down on those people and say, ah, this, can, this guy cannot be a real Christian. But when we understand that God nullifies all of that, none of that counts. It becomes a leveler. We, we, we understand that, hey, it's a leveler. Okay, very quickly. Objection number two. I've got to move on. The second objection, which is, which again, is, is very important to consider, is the issue. If what you are saying about grace is true, then grace is dangerous. Look at verse 17. Galatians 2, 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ certainly a minister of sin? But thank God he answered it. Certainly not. This is a huge and legitimate 
objection to grace. The point is, people say, well, because there's no law, I don't have to live under the law, uh, there's no restraint of uh, principles and guides and this and that and that, do we not live in a spiritual anarchy? Does everything go? Because if that's so, some of you will live here tonight. Before you get home, you go to the liquor store. You buy maybe two, 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 what? Two feet. How do they sell it these days? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been that way. <laughs> In other words, if we don't address this question, we don't want people living carelessly under the guise of living in grace. It is a lie. It is deception. Grace does not give you a license or occasion to live recklessly. Absolutely not. That's what Paul said. He said, certainly not. That's important. However, the reality is there are people who, because of grace, live a very careless life. All caution is thrown to the wind. No need to pray, no need to read the Bible, no need to fast, no need to go to church, no need to do this. No, ah, I'm under grace. Massive deception. I won't even call it deception. I say massive deception. That's what Paul is addressing here. How we live matters. The only issue is the way it matters is not the way the religious people think it is. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. It matters. Give me Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verse source 11 and 12. Thank you. Is that it? No. Oh, now, now you got it now. <laughs> Thank you. Look at what it says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It doesn't matter. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't go so quickly. Thank you. Many of us read that and just stop. We just stop right there. But that's not true. That is massive deception to read 2.11 and just stop. Because verse 12 comes after 11. Give me, give me verse 12 now. Teaching us that. So grace not only rescues you, grace not only redeems you, brings you into adoption, brings you into a place of acceptability, but it doesn't leave you there. It teaches us, what does it teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly loss so it tells you what you don't have any business doing. Then it tells you we should live soberly. I mean, look at this. This is so complete. This is a package deal. He said we should live soberly, righteously, godly. When? In heaven? Oh, no, no, no. no. Are you guys sure about that? Is that in heaven we should do this? In this present age. Like when you leave these doors and go home. God expects you to be righteous to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your co-workers, to your business partners. Now notice what he says. Oh my God, I don't have time to, to really milk this. He didn't say you should be right. He said you should be righteous. Huge difference. My business partner may have a proposal on the table that I don't like. God is not asking me to be right. He's just saying, bank, be righteous. Your wife, your husband, your children may do things that are not right. You may get into debate or argument or conversation. He's not asking you to be right, to win the debate. Under grace, you are not trying to win the debate. You are trying to be righteous. Oh, let me give an example. Here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. 
And John sees him and says, are you kidding me? Me to baptize my creator? No way. I am not about to do this. I am lower than you and therefore I cannot baptize you. That's paraphrase. Jesus, Jesus looks at him. Okay, okay, I hear your argument. I hear your logic. I'm not going to even deal with your logic. This is all I'm going to say, John. Suffer it to be so, so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Positionally, you are right in your argument. You are lower than me. And therefore, you are not expected to baptize me. How can a creature baptize the creator? In your argument, you are right. But this is not about argument now. It's about righteousness. John 7, 24. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Huge. So grace teaches us to live righteously, godly, in this present age. Now when you get to heaven, you don't need it in heaven. This is where we need to show off our colors. The light of God has in us. So, we must understand that grace does not give us license or liberty to err or to live a careless, sinful, reckless lifestyle. Absolutely not. Amen? So now in verse, I, I need to, oh my God, is that, is that clock correct? <laughs> okay. Can you guys just give me five more, put five more minutes on that clock so I can finish this person? Please, in Jesus' name, I thank God. For <laughs> oh my goodness. Where am I? Okay. Now, look at verse 17. Galatians 2, 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Oh, we, I read that already. Verse 18. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. So the point he's making is, listen, the reason he's not going back to living under the law is because he cannot keep on building on a foundation that's already broken. That's what he's saying. Verses 18 and 19. He's saying he's not going back under the law because it will be like building on a foundation that is broken. Why? The law never has the effect of making anyone better. Never. It was not designed to make you better. It was only designed to show your faults. When you see the speed limit on the road, 35 miles an hour, you break it, the Lord just says, yes, this, this is it. He reveals to the policeman, you're driving beyond the speed limit. It was never intended to get you to be a better driver. Now, as we bring it to a close tonight, how in the how do we reconcile these things? Law versus grace. If I can't live under the law, or I should not live under the law, and I should live under grace, how does that work out? What does that mean? Paul answered for us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Please, Grace, give me that verse in the message translation. Watch what it says. Thank you very much. Look at what it says. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you on this more. Is that all? No, my, mine is, is different. Is that a fake translation? <laughs> Let me see here. Okay. Oh, okay, where did I live up? Okay, thank you. 
It is no longer important that I too fast. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you. Go on there, thank you. Or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Now that's the key. No longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. Look at the next sentence. The life you see me living is not mine. But it is lived by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The key word here is the issue of identity. If you are going to live the grace life, you must receive the new identity that God has given you. And this translation breaks it down. He said, I'm crucified. It's no, it's no longer me that lives. He said, the life that I'm living is not mine. That's the key. That's the key. The life you are now living is not yours. That's a new ID. You are crucified and another one has taken your place. He's living in you now as we speak. That's the only way and the only reason you can live the greatest life and live it successfully without making a wreck of your life. It's your identity change. God is not come to try to make you and I better. He come to make us new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the issue. We are new persons. And you can only move and do and respond to God on the basis of your newness and your new identity. Huge. But how do you do that? By faith. That's why this whole passage is called justification, justification by grace through faith. That's why I said the life I now live, I live through the faith of the Son of God that loves me and gave himself for me. This new ID you must live by faith. This new identity, you must live by faith. That's the only way you can reconcile living under grace and not be overtaken by the law. Now, very quickly, very quickly, let me just show you. Uh, you see, the, 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 reason I, the reason the idea is so important is because we, what we do flows from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. You will never make a crocodile bank a It's not possible. You can pray all you want. A crocodile will be a crocodile forever. Can never be anything else. We, what we do flows from who we are. And a life that pleases God is a response to God's love and gratitude for his mercy upon us. Amen? That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, in closing, just in closing, give me the overhead now. Let me show you the two irreconcilable ways of approach to God. There you have it right there. This is two ways to approach God. On the left, or on my life, my left, you have the approach of love, which is works. And on the right, you have approach of grace, which is faith. Okay? So on the works, you believe, you obey, and thankfully you accept it. That is a par that's a, living a parole life. I'm going to explain that in a minute. On the right, a life of grace through faith, you believe, you are accepted because you believe, and because you are accepted, your desire is to please God and obey him. Do you see the difference? On the works, you are obeying in order to be accepted. That's what we saw in Luke 15, the elder son. Busy walking in the field so that he can win his father's favor. That's works. Under grace, I believe. And I've read the scripture, Ephesians 1.6, which says, I'm accepted in the beloved. I didn't do anything to earn it. I'm accepted in the beloved. I believe I'm accepted, oh my God, because of your goodness to me. Accepting me as I am. My God, I, I'm here to do your will. Obedience. So I'm not obeying to get favor. I'm obeying because I have been favored. Amen. Now, 
the two, the best way I can show this to you tonight is to ask yourself the question, are you living under parole or you're under pardon? Because remember, James 2.10, if you break one law, one, you are guilty of all. What happens to guilty people? They're in Islamah. They're in jail. When you go before a court and it just pronounces you guilty, you know the next thing? Bailiff is going to come and put handcuffs in your, in your, in your hands and they're going to lead you up to your, to, your, to your new cell. And they're going to give you a number. 124-52-SY. That's a new life. Parole. That's a new life. So, under the law, a believer under the law is paroled. What happens to a parolee? They live under a perpetual fear. If you break another law, because you are parole for 10 years, or probation for 15 years, or whatever, they, if, you, if you do, they, go and ask uh, O.J. Simpson. Go and ask him. If you go, if you go near the liquor store, somebody just make a phone call, it's back in Islam. So when you're under parole, you are living under a perpetual fear for something to happen and you're back where you used to be. But when you're under pardon, a pardoned man or woman is not under a committed sentence. Your sentence is not commit, committed. You are completely forgiven as if the offense never took place. That's the difference. Totally, completely expunged as if it never happened. Now, given the next slide, this is the last one. What does it look like to be on parole or pardon? On parole, you are preoccupied with self-reformation. 19 steps on how to save money. Three steps on how not to get under the devil's influence. Five steps in this. All, all kinds of self-help stuff. Self-reformation. Do it yourself religion. Number two, fear. Man, I wonder. That's, listen, guys, time will not permit me. That's what destroyed Job. Job. His kids had not even sinned, but he was just afraid. Hey, these guys are out tonight again. They are out late. I wonder what they're doing. Oh, let me go get a lamb and sacrifice. Oh, let me go get another lamb and sacrifice. What's, what's driving him? Fear. 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 Why? It's on a parole. As a believer that's under pardon, your issue is regeneration, and God provided that for you. And out of that comes what? Gratitude. Grateful for God delivering me, God rescuing me, God giving me acceptability, God giving me favor. Amen? You're not worried about going out there and messing up because you are not sin focused, you are Christ focused. And being Christ focused gives you guidance and helps you to come to the place of stability in your life. I have much more, but I have to let you go. If you want the notes, ask Revelation, because there's much more there that I can't even get to. Amen? Let's just pray tonight. Let's just pray. And, the way, and really what I want us to do in prayer tonight, I just don't want to lead the prayer. Can I? I'm going to pray, and if two or three of you guys will just, based on what you've heard, just step forward and say a few sentences of prayer as well to cover us all, all together. Because I want you to stop being a practitioner of these things and just not have a prayer contractor. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Amen? All right. I'll, st I'll, lead, it I'll lead it off. But any two or three people, just come and, come and get a mic and just, uh, uh, let's just, let's just pray together. And so, Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Thank you, Father God for the understanding that's come to us, the enlightenment that you bring it to us, that helps us to understand the distinction between law and grace, and that we are no longer living under, under the law, but under grace. And therefore, as a result of that, we are already favored, we are already accepted in the beloved, and we can trust your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us on a daily basis. Thank you, Father God for giving us the ability to live a life of gratitude, to honor your name and to bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Quickly, because we're almost gone. Yeah, Donita wants to pray. Thank you.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If there's anybody else, just come up right after her. Don't, don't wait for me to have to get you. Thank you. Yeah, it's on. It's on. Dear Heavenly Father. Yes. I just honor you and I thank you, Father God. I thank you because your love yes. knows no end. Yes. I just thank you, Father God, because no matter who or what we are, Father God, we are always in your thoughts. Yes. You go to, you never cease, Father, to get our attention, no matter if we believe or we don't, Father. I just thank you, dear Father, for just this gathering. I thank you, dear Father, for the equipment yes. of our minds and our spirits, Father. And I just pray, dear Father, that we'll really take heed to what we're hearing, Father God, and, and be doers of this word, Father. I just pray, dear Father, that you would just lift up any weeds or any hindrances, any distraction, Father God, and just allow us to come into the fold that you are calling us to come into. I just thank you right now, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.